Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson, Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. We're now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus. Have a lot of things going on here, including some ozonated water for our grooming tub that's getting installed today. We're going to be using uh, the best of ozone to um, help things like licking, scratching, all those things your dog just can't seem to get over, especially this time of year, it's in the paws. And we have so many dogs coming in like that. So um, ozone is a way we're going to be working on that. We're going to talk about that after we get it going a little bit and see how it works and everything. Um, the ozone, I think, is going to be the solution for a whole lot of pretty cool stuff. Um, so the licking cause the scratch and the itching, right? Definitely. That's uh, been the, the MO this summer. It seems like the, the fluctuations in the temperature, the fluctuations in the weather patterns. Um, anytime it gets wet, uh, we're going to have yeast problems anytime it starts to get into weather transition. So from spring to summer, fall to winter, we start to get this. Uh, whenever we have leaves on the ground and we get decay and things like that right now, uh, we're going to see a lot more fungus and yeast causing some problems. All right. Well, we're looking at a lot of holistic ways to handle those problems uh, in the practice. And um, we've been following another product called Green Lift Muscles. These little mussels are grown on the coast of New Zealand. They've had to start farming them now because they're becoming really popular as a joint supplement. Not only is this joint supplement um, really great, the other part of it is they're starting, they've done a whole lot of research, and they found that they're rich in a certain kind of fat that could keep your dog off of regular medication. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Um, we're going to talk also about the best table scraps to feed your dog, and also chakras, as well as a new dog bed study that was done. And we're going to talk about whether a dog bed is really a good idea for your dog or not. So there are a couple of, like, things you have to consider, especially when it comes to holistic medicine, that you might not think about when it comes to arthritis, joint pain, hip pain, even back pain for dogs and their dog beds. Um, so kind of interesting with a lot of anecdotal evidence coming up in that. And then if your dog has anal gland problems, you are not alone. Uh, about 5% of dogs coming into the animal hospital come in with anal gland issues. So when you have something like that going on, um, the anal gland problems are pretty intense. They require so much maintenance. People are always coming in for anal gland issues. So. With those things going on, it's just something that you kind of have to, you know, work on continuously over time. So anal gland issues are no fun for anybody. They are not fun, and they can be quite painful. Um, to gland or not to gland, we'll be talking about that, because uh, whether to go in and actually have those expressed routinely is not necessarily a good idea uh, because you can cause more potential irritation. So if you go to the dog groomer, or even to the veterinary clinic for routine gland expression. Uh, we want to make sure that there's actually a problem at first. You don't want to start when they're young, uh, say at a year old, starting to express glands right away. You want to wait until 
there's actually a problem uh, where they start to skew to show some of the signs of classic anal gland impaction or, or anal gland problems. So the classic example is going to be scooting. Pets okay. irritated, they're trying to press the glands loose. So <laughs> I got Brandy doing Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brandy, what are you doing? She was so humiliated. Start and, and <laughs> she took off. She scooted all the way across the building, and then she. Uh, <laughs> she like, Brandy, and she took sure. off. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they, I don't know why people say dogs don't have any feelings or emotions or something like that. Clearly, they do. I mean, if you're yeah. not ashamed. There have been a couple dogs that I've had that have been like, oh, what are you up to? And they're on there, and, um, and they both reacted the exact same way. Like, oh, you weren't supposed to see that. No. <laughs> you weren't supposed to see that. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, so I uh, was looking at some research about the anal glands, and it said that so like about 5% in this study of the dogs coming into an animal hospital have a problem with that. And the skewed, when they, when they came to like having to have them removed, you know, because it had just gone on so long. And I mean, look, you can have a dog your whole entire life that does not need to have its anal glands removed. This is... I don't know. Doesn't happen that often. Like we don't do it that often. Maybe other vets do. No, and it shouldn't be necessarily routinely done. Only if they have continual infections where it's, it's, the gland is obviously um, not working correctly anymore. Then you'd have to go in and actually remove those. Um, not routinely done. Like, uh, and it's, it's it's really just it, we call it anal glands because it seems to be uh, more expressed easier that way. Them saying anal sac. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't think so. Because of the, well, either, way, either way, it's not really for polite company. <laughs> no, it's not for polite company. And, and it's not really a gland. The gland is actually receiving a signal hormonally from the brain. It doesn't do that. Uh, during the act of, of releasing solids, it is actually a way of marking the solid fecal matter for later. So they mark with their urine, they mark with feces too. And that's all that fluid is really doing. It looks like the gallbladder. There's like two little gallbladders that spaced about four and eight o'clock around the anal area. And it's actually toxins in there too. Um, there's sweat, uh, there's little sweat glands in there that make the fluid and oil. But it's actually a detox as well. And, I, and this is interesting because uh, if you remove the anal glands, it's going to have to release toxins from somewhere else. And uh, so we don't want to necessarily remove them unless, like I said, they become a, a very major issue for them. So, uh, but the, when they start to have issues, it's usually the fact that the gland itself isn't being expressed during normal release of bowel. And if it's not, what happens is that those little pores, that they get backed up with fluid. And sometimes they just express it's the fluid. fluid. It's also known quite widely as tuna buck. Yeah, for sure. It does smell like fish, for sure. And uh, if they don't get it all the way out, unfortunately, then all those solids just stick at the bottom and they get what they call an impaction. Now, an impaction, when you release that, it's going to be really chunky stuff. And I've had it, you know, to a point where it looks like a ribbon of clay coming out. Oh, yuck. Okay, and so... That's enough and description, I think. For sure. And, and then, the, unfortunately, the most painful thing is once the impaction occurs, then you get inflammation, and that causes the, you know, glands uh, abscess. So, 
So of all the dogs that come that come in um, in the study, it's uh, it's skewed very heavily toward Labrador retrievers. So if you've got a lab or a lab mix, you could be on the radar with the whole anal gland thing. So definitely something to watch. What are some of the ways the ways actually to keep anal glands from becoming a huge problem or becoming a worse problem if your pet's susceptible to it? actually are pretty natural and very holistic. So we have a few supplements here. Scooter's Butt Bar, which is um, essentially a hard bar. And you just break off pieces of it with, it's got pumpkin, psyllium husk. So psyllium, isn't that like metamucil or something? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, lentil, cinnamon, and diatomaceous earth. So all, all this is very... Um, Totally holistic. Landex, the same thing. Pumpkin seed powder, granulated pumpkin seed. Um, this one has quercetin in it, though, and it has, um, I do like this one because it does have some probiotic in Glandex, so that is one of the others. Uh, but again, once again, these all coming with many, many things you could do and add to your pet's food at home on your own without uh, having to buy the product. Um, brewer's yeast uh, in this one, which is no scoot. Uh, dried potato, uh, salmon oil, again, the beet pulp flax seed, psyllium husk, and the pumpkin powder as well. So I'm not even sure where you would get something like pumpkin powder. These are really inexpensive, all these um, little concoctions that are made up already for you. They're really good, and they do work. So kind of nice to know that even if you're in this kind of lifelong commitment to, once you get it, it never really stops, right? For sure, because one, it, it, once you start expressing, then you, you have to probably continue to express at some point to make sure, uh, just like changing oil, you got to check it once in a while to make sure that they're not becoming impacted. Uh, how often uh, some owners come in once a month to have them expressed um, for dogs who have a lot of issues uh, to keep all that solid material out. It, you, the natural, normal anal gland fluid looks like oil. It's kind of a, a cloudy substance. It, it looks like a cloudy olive oil for some reason, the best way to describe it. But at the same time, uh, that's normal. But if they're in, in, in typically when they go to the bathroom, their little muscles are being pressured against the gland. And when they flex, they'll squeeze that fluid out when they're going. So if they don't have good, strong coccygeal muscles, that are going to express those glands, uh, that can be an issue. And the gland can start to stretch out like an old sock. Mm. More fluid, more fluid. Unfortunately, every time they go, they're not getting it all out, and they can release that at any time. It's called anal gland leak. So you start leaking the fluid out. uh, Okay, so if someone were going to try to work on this at home, Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to just try some different products. So pumpkin's always a good product when you're coming, when you need to add some fiber to a dog's diet. For sure, and then you just want to expand. Um, so when they're going to the bathroom, it's going to get more pressure against the gland. So that's okay. where your pumpkin comes in, high fiber, to stretch it out. That was one thing the study said, was that a lot of the dogs with that had very little fiber in their diet. A lot of them were just eating a meat diet. So um, fiber is your best friend there. But if you were going to, say, buy a product like Metamucil over-the-counter, you probably should be a little bit careful. Yeah, I've actually had it go the other way with, with folks that have tried Metamucil. They've actually created diarrhea. 
Okay. Uh, instead of creating the opposite yeah. effect. So I talked to somebody about that. Or just try one of the pre-made products that are made for dogs and they're not that expensive. By the time you bought all of that stuff, you're really not in it anymore mm-hmm. by buying this prepared product for dogs. So those are sold in our pet retail section. If you need advice, you can go to our um, page on Facebook, which was, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. So um, we can discuss that there. Um, you can ask any questions you need, product recommendations, anything like that. And a lot of the other people um, on that page are really helpful to you as well. So it's not just us. Um, it's plenty of people asking questions and helping answer questions as well. So we do appreciate everybody who's participating in our page on Facebook. Um, we do have a question from that page today. Um, I need some valuable advice, please. Lala. So my older Chihuahua mix has been licking her lips and sleeping a bit more than usual. She has a great appetite. I switched vests and took her to a new integrated vet just for an assessment and was told she needs antibiotics for her teeth. I know her teeth are bad, but was also told she had a heart murmur. This is news to me since she had been to her other vet back in July three times and in June as well with no mention of a heart murmur. The integrated vet wants her to be on antibiotics for a week to do the pulse therapy as well as take a heart tonic, which is pictured below. What are your opinions on antibiotics? Also, I'm concerned about giving her the heart tonic since I know nothing about it. Is it possible her heart murmur is misdiagnosed? And the tonic is um, from the herb, herbal company that we use, which is Jing Tong. It's a veterinary-grade um, herb. They're made very, very well. They follow all the guidelines. They do everything right. Uh, this one is called Concentrated Heart Tea Tonic. Yeah, and if... if- if they've been to the vet three times and didn't hear the murmur and then suddenly there's a murmur, that could mean simply that the heart is just not working as well as it used to. And it's called heart chi. So the heart energy is going down because okay. the body's working harder. So, yeah, you could, you could be uh, a week ago to the veterinarian and the next week they can have a murmur. So that's very common. Um, the heart really? You, so it's not necessarily a misdiagnosis no. or anything like that? And the good news, it may not be a heart condition. Okay. When that's the case, it could just be that the heart needs a little bit of help into mm. um, improving its contractility. One of the problems, and it's been well documented in human medicine as well, is bad teeth affect the heart, heart valves, so that's where you're getting the murmur, um, the filters of the kidney and also the liver. Mm. So it's if you leave that infection in there, it's going to cause a whole host of problems. And I get it with anesthesia that we don't always want to risk anesthesia and stuff like that. But you, you, you have to with gum disease. You just can't let it go. Uh, it causes so many problems. So I would follow the, the integrated vet's advice. First of all, you have to use some antibiotics to help clear the mouth and get reduce the, um, the severity of the biofilm. Uh, so that's integrated. The heart sheet tonic is going to be very good uh, to build the heart up. So when we do get in there and start working on those teeth, for example, uh, it's going to, your pet's going to be much healthier going in. But don't let that gum disease go. It's, you, you've got to get rid of that gum disease for sure. Why is it so hard in little dogs? It just seems like the little ones have the worst time. They do, and, and the biggest reason is that they have just as many teeth as a German Shepherd. Uh, but unfortunately, all those teeth get impacted. And it gets impacted underneath the gum line. 
you can look at those teeth and it could be perfectly straight, but if you take x-rays and see those roots, they're very tight together. Mm-hmm. Those teeth have to move a little bit. And if they can, if they're all jammed together, that's a beautiful place for biofilm because once they're impacted, they lose circulation. The gum line and the teeth and jaw line do drain. That lymphatic fluid drains to the lymph node just under the ear. And if that gets impacted, all that inflammation sitting there, great place for biofilm, great place for periodontal disease. Okay. All right. Well, that doesn't sound too good. Okay. So, Alon, I hope that we helped you and that your dog is um, is going to be feeling better after this, and I hope the teeth get cleaned, too. There's a lot of things you can do um, as far as getting the teeth cleaned um, and maintaining uh, their dental care. I mean, sometimes it's hard. It's not, like, foolproof, but, I mean, there's water additives. There's little sprays for the mouth. You can try brushing the teeth. Some dogs just won't tolerate that. And if you feel, like, weird about it, don't do it. Um, but plenty of things that can be done, so just try to keep up with something um, something like that. And even the apple cider vinegar rinse might help. Okay. All right. So uh, we have another question today from our Facebook group, uh, Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, and I encourage you to join that. Um, is there a reason why my dog, Archibald, loves to eat grass? A lot of dogs do it, and, and eating grass is normal. The only concern is that if the, if the grass is treated, it's probably not a good idea for them to eat it, for sure. But the reason they eat grass is, for one reason, is they need a little bit of fiber in the diet. Two is that it's, it's sort of like parsley. It helps to clean the palate. It helps to set the gut up and get ready for food. Uh, it can also mean stomach upset in some degree because the grass does absorb toxins. But uh, most of the time, it's just a palatable way of improving digestion. Now, their ancestors used to follow the buffalo around or deer or, or mm-hmm. other uh, you know, four-stomached animals and eat the waste product because it had essential um, you know, probiotics in it. And sometimes they're eating the grass because they're emulating that um, because most of those animals were eating grass. It's fermented grass, obviously, coming out, but at the same time, um, they do eat grass to try to emulate that and get that stomach acid a little bit different so they can eat and improve their digestion. Mm, okay. Yeah, Benjo was eating grass the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they come in the house and throw it up. So. Sometimes they will. Why and, is uh, that? Because it's, it's not a natural thing for them to be able to absorb, but we think about vomiting. Vomiting is a detox. So they're using the grass as a detox if they eat it and then throw it up right away. Oh, really? So it's a way of just cleansing that, whatever toxin that's bothered them. Does it mean they have a stomachache if they eat grass? Not necessarily. Um, It could mean some gastrointestinal upset. So if they are out there eating grass, watch what's coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the time you're going to see a softer stool or some sort of problem there. Uh, It may only be a day. But if it seems to be continually happening, you probably better see your veterinarian. You should talk about it and see, okay, what's really going on? Is there some stressful issue? Is there some other problem that we need to address? Okay. All right. Um, We're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about chakras and how they can help your pet heal and have a little bit better life and more energy. And we're also going to talk about the best table scraps to feed your dog. We are not kidding. Um, Animals love table scraps. It's been a big thing for a long time. Everyone says, don't feed it. It's horrible. But we don't agree. So we'll tell you why, and that's coming up. 
and also are going to talk about that dog bed study at the University of Pennsylvania. And if your dog is going to benefit from that, as well as green-lipped mussels, the unique highly unsaturated fats that a New England, New Zealand university found to be very beneficial and could wipe out your need, your pet's need, for um, an NSAID. So NSAIDs are really, really hard on your animals, so that's something you definitely want to stay tuned for. So we'll be back in just a few minutes here on Voice America World Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We'd love to have you see, uh, join us on our Facebook page, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. 
we can answer a lot of your pet's questions, or not your pet's questions, but your questions about your pet. <laughs> I'm sure your pet has a lot of questions, so wondering what's going on around here. Um, anyway, uh, so we can do that, and a lot of people interact with each other on that page and help each other out finding all the best pet advice. So um, we're happy to help you if you have a problem with your pet and you don't have a veterinarian around who can assist you in the holistic aspect of it, or you just want a second opinion, we do lots of second opinions here. So uh, I mean it's kind of second opinion. It's a very significant portion of our practice here at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry. We're located at the um, Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus, uh, which is at the corner of 31 and 120 in McHenry, Illinois, near Chicagoland. So if you're ever over this way, we'd love to have you come see our holistic pet store, our indoor dog park, our daycare coming soon, our swimming pool is coming soon, and today we're adding ozone therapy to our holistic practice. So when, um, when we do the ozone therapy, it'll be in a grooming lineup. So um, we are getting it installed this morning. So we'll just wait to talk about ozone therapy till next time. So we, we'll uh, have a little success under our belt to just kind of tell you a little bit about, okay? So ozone therapy is coming. You're always looking for the next thing that's going to be helpful. Yeah, you want the body continuing to work on itself, too. While we manage their health and lifestyle with good nutrition, obviously exercise and everything like that, but uh, but skin health, you know, skin toning, obviously the, the human profession now is, is really important just as much as it is for dogs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were talking last night. I'm like, I wonder what table scraps you could feed your dogs because ours are always eating table scraps. Even the cats eat table scraps at our house. And... When I Googled it, it was like, never feed your dog table scraps. Every single article was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> your dog's going to get fat. You're going to do so many other things to your dog. But if you're careful about it and you do it the right way, I mean, you know, like you can't just feed them a pizza or something, then, you know, it's actually probably better food than some of the treats you're going out and buying because it's fresh, it's homemade, um, you know what's in the dog's food. So we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the best table scraps to feed. What's safe, what isn't? Fresh food for sure. So you're right. You don't want to give them, you know, leftover pizza or, you know, pasta or anything like that. You want to stay with fresh food. So meat for sure, not processed meat. So you don't want to give them processed uh, meat like, like, ham. like ham and bacon. You've got to be careful of bacon, hot dogs, things like that. So okay. If you're having steak, if you're having chicken, uh, if you're having turkey, um, a three-to-one ratio, so three parts meat to one part vegetable. So steamed vegetables are important. You want a, a little bit of rice is okay, but you want to stay away from heavy starches. So heavy starches are going to be mashed potatoes uh, and also um, pasta and bread. pastas and breads. You want to stay away from those. Uh, and you want to make sure that if you're going to add some fresh food to the diet, about 25% of the diet can be fresh food. The other 75% should be the balanced diet. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to more fresh food, uh, Just Food for Dogs is one of those companies that you can actually get fresh food, the same food that you would eat, in a complete diet. Um, so you can even have fresh food as a complete diet. But uh, table food is okay, you know, the right table food. All right, so we're not talking... Well, I mean, everybody gives their dogs like a chip or, mm-hmm. okay, maybe some of us give our dog a piece of bread because he loves it. <laughs> and some of us maybe shouldn't be doing that. Right. Um, and uh, so what do you do, like, if your dog 
is always begging at the table, and you know, obviously, you can't resist that. So you do flip them a little food here and there. But, like, what if your dog maybe stepped away from the table, and I hear a lot of these horror stories. I stepped away from the table, and I came back, and all the food was gone. That includes, like, maybe it's a basket of rolls, that kind of thing. Oh, for sure, and uh, it definitely happens. And, And quite surprisingly, if a dog eats a loaf of bread, they can become alcohol intoxicated. Okay. Because the alcohols uh, that are from the fermentation of the bread creates uh, alcohol and absorb very quickly in the gut. So there's been horror stories that uh, the dogs have gotten alcohol poisoning from eating uh, a whole loaf of bread. Well, Doppler got it. We had a dog named Doppler, and he got it from eating a leftover birthday cake. Yeah. He ate it, and I thought, well, we're going to have to... I mean, he was like 20 years old at the time. I'm like, well, I guess this is it. We're going to have to put him down. I didn't really understand. And it wasn't until later that I'm like, oh, he's all pink. Like, his face is pink and his eyes are pink. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what happened? And he was, it was, he was literally intoxicated from eating Avery's birthday cake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It will pickle him for sure. And so, but that happens in, in probably, you know, the question, should I induce vomiting? Should I make him purge all that food? No. Uh, probably seeing your veterinarian and making sure that we use a product called uh, activated charcoal to help absorb some of those toxins that are going through. Um, Usually in 24 to 48 hours, they pass the excess food. Usually is something that's pretty soft or watery, uh, and then you get their GI tract restarted because some of the foods they eat, like birthday cake, very rich food, um, you know, and some of the spices and and, uh, sauces and things like that that we use for our foods, uh, can be very irritating to dogs, and so uh, especially in large amounts. And, and cats, too. Uh, cats will uh, definitely develop some GI problems, and they like to get up on the table and, and uh, explore, um, especially if you're eating spaghetti or spaghetti sauce. Cats really like spaghetti sauce, surprisingly, some cats, and so uh, that will cause diarrhea and a lot of uh, pretty severe gastrointestinal. I think in our house, the favorite table food, it's not really table food, it's popcorn, the cats like literally put their hand in the bowl and eat it. <laughs> they absolutely love it. And it's funny because the father cat loves it and his baby is just as crazy about popcorn. Yeah, they I've never seen it before, so. No, that I don't, and, and probably the butter crazy, in there. Yeah, they, no. they seem to be <laughs> butter cats. They love, love it. <laughs> get after the butter, so that's probably why. <laughs> All cats love butter, I think. So um, moving on a little bit, the green lipped muscle is something that's kind of new on the scene for joint health. Um, Here's what they look like. They're super stinky, so dogs love them. They're cured. Uh, These are freeze-dried by Northwest Naturals. And there they are. It's like in the shell and everything. So the little muscles inside of there, I don't know if you can see it right there, but there it is. And um, cats, even the baby kittens, go crazy over these. And the dogs love them, too. So... I can't blame them. When you open that bag, you know what you're smelling. So that's always a, a good thing for dogs and cats because they love that. Um, so they have apparently a unique polyunsaturated fat. This polyunsaturated fat um, is something that this New, New Zealand University where the green lipped muscles come from has discovered as being extremely beneficial and it could knock out the need for an NSAID. So NSAIDs come with a lot of different problems, just to uh, fill you in on that a little bit. You should be informed of those issues by your veterinarian when prescribing NSAIDs. NSAIDs can cause organ damage. 
They can cause um, long-term problems. People give these long-term, but you really need to go back and have blood draws done consistently over time. Um, how often? Every six months? Every three or six? Yeah, twice a year at least. For healthy dogs, dogs that are a little questionable in their health more often than that. So at least twice a year. Okay, so if you're going to say on consistently on NSAIDs, those would be like Rivadil, Carprofen, Carprovet. Those are some of the words, um, some of the names you might recognize on your pet's pill label. Um, and those are mostly for dogs. Is there a cat NSAID? You know, surprisingly, the cat industry uh, for NSAIDs has been limited. So Veloxicam has been used for cats. You have to be very careful. You can only put it in the small dosing syringes. You don't want to try to to pull up a whole bunch and just give them the right amount mm -hmm. from that because um, there's been problems associated with renal failure if they get too much oh. of, of an NSAID. Uh, aspirin you have to be very careful of. Aspirin is, if it's used, it's only every third day in cats. Mm -hmm. And that's a baby aspirin. So they're yeah. very sensitive to NSAIDs. They respond better, surprisingly, to steroids okay. when they're painful. Okay. Um, but you, there again, you get limited use. Um, when you get the greenlit muscles, you get a different pathway because the NSAIDs are working on what they call the cyclooxygenase pathway. Okay. And there's what they call COX-1 and COX-2 inhibitors. Uh, they stop prostaglandins from being released, which are the inflammatory you know, enzyme okay. that sets off pain. Greenland muscles work on the lipooxygenase pathway, which is does the same thing without the side effects of the GI tract and, and the liver and kidneys. So very wonderful product. It was kind of a unique story because it took a while for them to figure out because the Maori... Uh, natives in New Zealand, the ones that lived near the ocean, were eating the greenlit mussel uh, and had much less arthritis than the, the natives that lived more inland. Mm. But it took a long time to figure it out because the, it, they initially cooked it and couldn't oh. figure out why. And when they cooked it and gave it uh, to the pets, it had no effect whatsoever. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, because of the, the very particular polyunsaturated fat in there, that you can only use it in freeze-dried. You have to be very careful how you process that. Mm. Okay, so it can't be cooked. Um, so we got the little freeze-dried mussels right here. Um, the other thing is we've got, um, sometimes it'll come in powders uh, as well, but we have to make sure that it's not been cooked because uh, it, okay. it basically cooks out all the good stuff. So you could freeze-dry it and grind it into a powder? Mm -hmm. Okay. You can freeze-dry it and grind it into powder. If your dog or cat, I mean, I really can't imagine a dog and cat not wanting to eat this, mm -hmm. like, frozen, freeze-dried shellfish. But if they didn't, you could always grind that maybe in a uh, coffee grinder or something? Yeah, you can okay. grind it up in a coffee grinder. Um, so it's a specific polyunsaturated fat. And polyunsaturated fats are the good ones, right? They're the good. They're really good, for sure. And, okay. And that... Did they find that they could take animals off of NSAIDs and replace NSAIDs with that? And how long would it take? Well, the, the disadvantage of using them is if, if, if they're really painful, if they're acutely painful, nothing else better than being on NSAIDs to stop the pain right now. Um, because it can take a few weeks of being on it to get the effect. So if your dog is just showing early signs of stiffness, that's the best time to be on those. But... Say you've been on it 30 days, you can wean off 
or even two weeks, you can wean off the insects and see, okay, there's half dose, and then there's a half dose again. Oh, okay. Find that most effective dose, and eventually you can get off of it because why not use something natural? Sure. You know? Sure. So the University of Otago, right? The marine biology uh, thing. And they also, they, they found that the people there were doing better when they ate it right out of the ocean yeah. than the people in them. That yeah, because they were eating the, the yeah. raw oysters, uh, and so it, and then when they, or the mussels, I should say, and the, uh, and that's when they found, it, and when the scientists started to work with it, they said, well, why, is, what's the active ingredient in there? <laughs> we can't figure it out, but it's because sure. they realized that, okay, we're cooking this, and we're cooking the good stuff out. All right, good. Very interesting. Um, so there was a dog bed study done by the University of Pennsylvania, and they used uh, the Big Barker dog bed. They're a seven-inch, this is a husky dog bag. It's a seven-inch orthopedic mattress. And, I mean, they're cute, you know, and everything. They have little colors on them and stuff. So those are the beds that they used. And they did report some improvements in using those. Not every time, I would say, um, a dog bed is for every dog. And there are some specific problems that they have. So tell us what problems there are that... Would, and, you know, a lot of people think, I mean, my dog is going to get a cushy dog bed. They're old. Everything has to hurt. Why are you laying on the floor? But we have dog beds all over our house, and we have dogs that always lay just on the straight hardwood floor. Yeah, they like to be cooler. And, and, and the, one of the reasons is, is that a lot of dogs that have osteoarthritis usually have metabolic issues, and so they're going to feel warmer. And so laying in something that would be nice and soft makes them heat up even worse, so it makes them uncomfortable. Um, so often you buy this beautiful bed and it's ergonomically correct and everything like that, and the pet won't lie in it. It's because it, they, they get too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they go, well, they're laying on the hard floor. Well, what's going on? Well, you know, the, the way the beds are put together, that particular pet, if they like to cool, would need a thinner one, maybe elevated off the ground. They have these elevated dog beds that are that are thin material, almost like a canvas or a hammock, but much stiffer. Yeah. And they would probably benefit more from that because that's cooling. So you're getting plenty of, of uh, air movement underneath. But at the same time, it's a thinner fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, but watch your pet. Watch where they like to lay because, if, uh, you know, Benjo likes to climb in the area that I like to lay. Mm-hmm. So it's But it's a stiffer mattress, okay? And so... He likes a stiff mattress. And our warm. 14-year-old dog likes to lay on the hardwood floor, and there's a piece of carpet that kind of comes up and over, and she leans her back on that. So I think maybe it supports her back mm-hmm. and always makes her feel better. She has her very favorite spot, and that is it, uh, upstairs. So um, just depends on your dog. In the study, though, at the University of Pennsylvania, 50% of the dogs had a 13% reduction in nighttime activity when they had a nice, big, soft dog bed. And 25% of dogs had at least a 33% decrease in nighttime activity. So those two things are at least getting them, um, you know, a little bit more rest. Um, They did, you know, look at them through activity monitors that the dogs wore. 6% improvement in joint pain reduction, a 6% reduction in pain severity, a 5% reduction in joint stiffness, 6% improvement in gait, and a 1% improvement in quality of life. But definitely it looks like their sleep improved, for sure. Yeah, it did definitely help them. And, and, uh, 
maybe not as much as we would expect, but it definitely did. Okay, alrighty. Um, also, today we want to talk about chakras. Um, chakras are, okay, do explain it. <laughs> well, it, chakras are, are energy vortexes that are stationed down the midline of the body. Okay. And where, you, where does this originate? This originates, it, I, I believe, usually, um, you know, in, in aerobatic medicine. Okay. It had its origin, Chinese medicine as well. Uh, so this is dating back 3,500 years ago because they were trying to determine, you know, they didn't know things physically, so they didn't know what all these hormones and, and medicines did, but they worked with nature to find out. And a lot of them, well, every one of them were philosophers, so they knew that there was another energy, the chi, mm -hmm. but this chi has stations in the body that can, once treated, can actually help the body work better. So chi is energy, and chi is animation. Chi is how the body moves, just like how I'm moving right now. Without chi, I can't okay? So, and it's stationed in different parts of the body, and they have different meanings based on the organs that are there, okay? Um, dogs and cats actually have two more chakras than we do, because they, uh, on the tip of the nose, for one, we don't have a chakra there, but the dogs and cats do Oh, really? oh. Mostly because they, the, the scent glands on their face are so much more sensitive than ours. So what do they do? And do they do anything with animals? Well, it, it, the benefit of it, in it, as you manage the chakra, Reiki is probably the most well-known to uh, of the the, uh, management, the styles. management styles that okay. that have been used um, to help with chakra medicine. And it's going over the different chakras about four inches above. So if you feel, you can even go over it yourself or if you go with another person, you can almost feel an energy an energy as your hand gets closer, even without anybody telling you. So if you put your hand over my hand, you could sort of feel an energy. Right. Without, without looking, you can feel yeah, that I'm there, right? Yeah. And if you go over the energy points like the, the head chakra... Uh -huh. the heart chakra, you know, the sacral chakra here in the, in the center, you can actually start it with four inches away and moving closer. And I've done that with dogs, too. As you get closer, sometimes they feel intimidated by that because you're starting to move that energy. Yeah. But you can tell if it's blocked because you're not getting heat off of it, if it feels cold or if you're not getting a response, then you just want to hold it there and try to move energy or move heat to that area to start getting that chakra moving. Oh. So, a bit of a woo-woo, for sure, woo -woo. because, um, you know, a, a lot of medicines, especially with, um, uh, you know, acupuncture is going to move the chi a little bit differently than chakra medicine. Um, you have to have a belief system with chakra. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to believe it's there, uh, otherwise it won't work for you. I have to believe that the energy is there and it will help you. And uh, so there's a lot of, of uh, you know, philosophical nature to using that style of medicine. You know, in holistic medicine, when you bring in all these different aspects of it, you really become very adept at handling skeptics. And, I mean, the skeptics come from other ranges. I mean, your clients are skeptical. Your clients come from all walks of life. We've had clients who were doctors, um, scientists, um, you know, world-renowned 
people in their fields. And, you know, especially if it's a science-based field, sometimes they are very skeptical. So, you know, and, and a lot of the veterinarians are going to be skeptical if they haven't gone out and educated themselves and done this, this stuff you have to do to really learn how to be a holistic veterinarian and to get results from that and how to, how to use science and how to use, you know, not only everything you learned in vet school, but everything you've learned in this new type of education to work it to your advantage for that pet to move their health along. And we do it every day, but you do become very adaptive skeptics. And you also see a portion of, like, what you're doing um, when you have a skeptical person, mm-hmm. it just makes it so much harder for something to work. Right, because you're, you're actually blocking. You're blocking it. You're blocking the energy from helping. So I always tell owners, if you don't believe in it, let's not do that, because if you don't believe in it, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's like a placebo. Mm-hmm. They, we all know what a placebo does, you know, and why does it work? Because there's a medicine, an energy that can help you get better that doesn't contain medicine, mm-hmm. you know. And um, So he's not saying the holistic medicine is a placebo, right. but you're just saying that the, you know, because there are a lot of research actually in holistic medicine, you know, acupuncture, all of those things have been researched. So, and, you know, some people may, you know, have had vets come back and, you know, like one of them, I remember this one particular who was mad because, he did everything for this dog, and nothing worked, and the dog was bald. And you worked on it, and it regrew its hair. And then the woman takes it back to the vet, and he goes, well, that's not clinical. And it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. I mean, it right. still worked, you know. So there's, there's like a belief pattern that you kind of have to just, just go ahead and say, I'm going to do this. That's for sure. It, it is sad because um, a lot of the great medicine um, was lost because of, of research-backed medicine um, that said, okay, the research says that this works. I can't research this, so therefore it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it, it is a closed-minded experience. And, and um, you know, when I was trained early on, that was a philosophy that I learned. But I realized just through the practice of medicine that there's more to it. And it was a lot of client interaction. My, my clients really interact with me, and I really enjoy it. And they mm-hmm. tell me things that they found that worked. And that's what really turned me on to holistic medicine years ago. So if you're skeptical, you know, I mean, we can talk through that. And there's a lot of good things you can share with people, oh, yeah. good evidence and stuff that sure. you can share with people. Um, it doesn't mean don't try it, but if it's not for you, you know, I mean, that, that's the deal. But uh, giving it a try doesn't hurt anything, which is also the good thing about holistic medicine. So I believe we're out of time for today. We do appreciate you joining us. Be sure to hit up our uh, Facebook group, Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. For more info, ask us all the questions you want to. We're more than happy to answer them here on our podcast. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.